most times people are hungry to take in people's money and it's like you're not even coming to save the person you, you are hungry yeah. to take in and start let's start the work and get the money no because if you do that and you are chasing money you trust me the money will come you'll be tired you'll be frustrated because now you are working with clients who know that this guy he's only he's interested not- in my money he's mm-hmm. not interested in giving me the best so yeah. at the end of the day, you might even lose that client that you are trying to hold on to. Hi, everyone. Good day. How are you doing? Hi, Nicola. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm, I'm good. How about you? I'm all right. Welcome on board, Danny. Welcome you again. Much, to your, how have you been? I've been better. How are you, Stanley and Nicola? You know how I've been doing, so... <laughs> I don't know how you've been doing. Tell our audience. Hey, gentlemen. <laughs> oh, well, I've been, I've been good. I've had to face some family issues, but I've sorted all of that out now, and I'm ready to go back to work. So, yeah. Hope you're fine, Sha. Like, hope you're yeah. ready to actually go back to work. Don't don't think that you're ready, but then you go and break down in the office. So. Oh, gentlemen, gentlemen. <laughs> <laughs> I'm ready. I'm fully ready to resume work. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. So um, our dear listeners, today we have our guest, um, Stanley. So Stanley will be telling us what he does for a living and then we'll uh, dive into the topic. Right. That's fine. Stanley, please, can you introduce yourself and let us know what you do? Okay. So my name is Hedrika Stanley. I'm half Ghanaian, half Nigerian. Um, I finished architecture school in 2020, and now I am a full Agves artist. Um, so I visualize architectural projects and uh, everything um, 3D I, is what I do. So I think about 3D, you can, you can just imagine, I think about 3D, I eat 3D, I dream 3D. In fact, everything is 3D in my head. So yeah. That is what I do full time. I also consult with a couple of agencies and uh, run a second business aside of all of this. Is that is that clear enough? Yeah. Would you want more? Because I doubt there's yeah. more. <laughs> there's more we can take it. Oh no, there's no more. There's no more. <laughs> okay. Yeah. All right. So um, today we would actually be discussing how you navigate client objections. So in your line of business, the 3D... Visualization. Visualization. Thank you for the word. How do you... How do you... Okay, let me start by how do you get your clients? Right. Who do you get your clients from? Is it by a referral? No, wait. I, I think we should do some, some backstory. So let's go back into time. Because I know... Okay, I and Stanley went to the same school, right? So... And I sort of knew this guy from like 200 level where he was doing this, doing his own hustling and doing his own personal hustle. You know, while while we were all you know focusing on our our education, this guy was doing a night uh, side hustle plus school. So I like to understand. I will put you. I will put you. So, so Don't like, do I like that. to understand your your backstory. So like, how did you get into it? How did you even think ahead of the, like of the class or something? You know. To start something like this oh. and build it up and to like because I know like it's been like six or seven years now. So how how has it well, been like it's been five years because I started it in level 200. So yeah, it's been five years. 
Hey, hey, gentleman. Me, I remember five years. Okay, okay. It's been six. It's five years been in school, years. guy. So it's been six years. I started it when I went for internship in level 200. Because in the even in the first year, I did it as part of my internship, but because that was what I was mainly focused on in the first year. And then in the second year, I was sitting in the office after having my lunch and I was looking at how busy everybody was, like all the architects were busy trying to meet deadlines. And I was a bit relaxed because after the lunch, I still had like 10 minutes to rest before I resumed work. So looking at um, the architect's work and seeing how busy they were, I was wondering to myself, okay, so these guys are fully busy in the firm doing the firm projects. What happens to their personal projects? What happens to their PP is what we call it. So personal projects. So what happens to their PP? How do they run this project or how do they run those projects? Do they bring it to the firm to work? And I asked a couple of questions. I realized, no, they actually spend more time when they are away from work to do that side of their life or that part of their work. So they have a regular job and they still have personal works to run. And so I asked myself, okay, if these guys are doing drawings, that's floor plans, elevations, sections, what exactly are they using to sell the project? Because to a layman, you can throw a whole lot of plans and all the details that you can do with 2D lines and they still won't understand what you're talking about or what you're even showing to them. So then I asked myself, okay, so are there people who do 3D as like their work? Or because that's a part I'm more interested in. In every firm that I've done, internship with it's mostly the 3ds that i'm involved in i i really don't like drafting as much as i'm good in drafting i just don't like it i don't enjoy it i then did some research and realized oh there were people actually who do 3ds for a living like that's all they do the whole day the, the whole day the whole month their whole life is all 3d so then i said okay then i want to be that guy the only difference now is i would have an architecture background so it would even give me an upper hand because I would understand everything the designer or the architect is trying to do and be able to make that reflect in the 3D. And that will present their, that will make their project presentation a lot better. So yeah, that's how it all started. Okay, um, interesting background. Um, quick question before we move on. Um, do you, what's the percentage of um, clients who prefer the 3D to the mood boards? I know um, some some people that prefer to do the elevation drawings, the floor plans, and then a mood board. Some clients actually prefer to go with the mood board so that they can tweak and visualize Big things. Changes. Exactly. Mm. So what are the percentage of customers you get who prefer the 3D? And how difficult does it make your work when a customer prefers um, mood boards where they can speak and make decisions to you presenting, going all the way to present 3D drawings? All right. So for me, um, I usually prefer clients who come to me with an already prepared mood board, like an agreed mood board. So you come to me with, this is the design mood board and this is what we are doing. These are the furniture styles you are using and... Um, this is the type of color we are looking for, like inspiration images all on that mood board. It makes my work easier. But then yeah. you have clients who come to you with so many random images. And my goodness, it's hard to work with a lot of images because then you are trying to pick in references from so many of them. Yeah. 
So it's, I, I don't know if I've answered your question, but it's a lot more easier having clients who have picked or who have given you a mood board to work with. Your okay. life is way easier. Because then you already have the color scale they're looking at. You, you already Exactly. You have the color scheme you're looking at. You have, if maybe there's a particular type of fabric they want, they will show you yeah. that type of fabric, particular type mm -hmm. of furniture. Furniture especially is something that can throw you off because in one image, you see this style of furniture and then you think, okay, yeah. this is the style the client is going for. Then the next thing they send you another image and you're like, but, but this is a different style. So what's going on here? You get so... It's, it's usually best to just take in the ones with the mood board. But hey, <laughs> we work in a system that it's not everybody that can um, put together a good mood board for you to, for for even their, their end clients to agree upon. So yeah. Okay. Yeah. Stanley, I have a, actually, I have a question. So I wanted to chip in here. So I had an internship opportunity, right? When we're still in school yeah. and the architect was asking me that, you guys, it's a big firm actually in Lagos here. So you guys asking me that, what can you do? So I was like, listening everything out. Then I was like, okay, I can do structural detail and all of that. Then I was not mentioning 3D visualization. Then he stopped me half, halfway and I was like, yo, is that, that anybody can do that? You can't see an architect and you're doing 3D visualization that, uh, that what we even pay them is less than 1% of, of what we earn on a project, you know? So like, if you were in that kind of person, in that kind of position, like what would be your response? Because I was shocked and I was like, I was quiet the whole day because I didn't know what to say to that. So like, if you were in that kind of position, <laughs> Oh, All right, Gideon. Gideon, honestly, to tell you, the first, you see the firm that I was doing that whole, where the whole thing started from, they were not in support of it. So if most of the time when I talk to people or when people really ask me about the background, I tell them that I always, I used to get this phrase. It's not just about 3Ds. It's not just about 3Ds. Architecture is about the design, the design. And th that phrase or that sentence was the sentence I got the first moment I mentioned it to one of the architects. That was what I got. You can imagine how saddened I felt. Like my vim dropped. It dropped completely. The vigor in which I thought about the idea, because I'm a type of person that if I think about something, I'm acting on it right now. Like I think about it this second, the next second, I'm starting the process. I don't have time to waste to come and start figuring out a whole lot. I always believe the journey can be figured out while you are going, right? On the way that you start adding things and adding. So after presenting or giving the idea to one person and I get shut down like that, it hurts me real bad. But then I, I look past and I was like, okay, this is one person. Maybe by the time I present to a hundred people, they would actually buy the idea. So um, let me just move on. No matter how sudden I felt, I, I just moved on. I moved on. And I know a lot of architects don't value it. Like they didn't used to value it, but in this current age and time, <laughs> they've started seeing value in it. Everybody has started seeing value in it. So, yeah. Okay. So another question spinning off from the initial conversation we had about the mood board and the 3D visualization, and then the current topic, the topic we're about to analyze and discuss. So yeah. what is your response when okay it, you say you prefer customers who have their mood boards prepared already so you mm -hmm. use the mood board to create a 3d visualization for them right yes. using and they have suggested and brought your way now what happens after because i know for a fact because i learned 3d on my own so a while back <laughs> wow 
and you know going through the process of you know doing the 3d visualization you know you've done you've imputed all the colors you've done the um space plan you've done you've done basically the modeling the texturing and the lighting the modeling of the furniture and everything and then the customer says um i don't think this will work i think we should you know and you know that what you use for the visualization is like basically everything the client has suggested the <laughs> yes so what's what's going to be your like your response so, to that so because, because i know it can be frustrating it is frustrating. So because I know that um, we are human beings and we can change our mind even the next minutes after we've said this is what we want and the next minutes, I leave a room for review. So I do two tests. So even before the test, so this is basically my process. I take uh -huh. in your project. We discuss okay. it lengthily, like we discuss every single detail. I would ask every single question before I initiate a project because I don't want... I start and tomorrow I'm making so many changes. It will just tire me out. Mm -hmm. So I take in the project. I receive all your files, all your images, all the floor plans, if they're available. Um, if they are measured drawings, I take in the measured drawings. Now I log them into a folder, which I call received. And so in that received folder, I go through everything and then come back and we start discussing. Okay, so this is your floor plan. I create the first base model. I call it a base model because it shows you the flow of the space. It shows okay. you where certain, if, if it's like a kitchen, take for example, a kitchen. It will show you how the kitchen will be laid out. If it's an L-shaped kitchen, if it's a U-shaped kitchen with an island, whatever yeah. style the kitchen is, it would all be there in the base model. So that base yeah. model basically shows you your windows, your doors, the floor tile, the type of floor tile it is. It shows you um, the type of window sometimes, but... Of late, I don't do that detail in the base model. So okay. I show you that I, I actually record a screen and whilst I'm navigating the model and then I show you, okay, so this is what your space looks like. Can we proceed? Okay. Yeah, can moment, on. Exactly. At that moment, if you say yes, proceed. Fine. After that phase, then I initiate detailed modeling. So now I'm adding doorknobs, if there are doorknobs, I'm adding textures, I'm adding, I'm training some lights to now start trying mm -hmm. to see what is really going on in that model. So after going through the detailed modeling, then I show it to you again. So is this how everything would be? If you say yes, or if you make a change at that moment, it will be easier for me to make changes. Yes, because you're not changing the entire thing. I'm not changing the entire thing, exactly. At that moment, the back and forth is way easier than I've detailed everything, textured everything, done some light yeah. into it and then you come and change my goodness you would destroy me so mm. i do that after the detailed modeling i send you a video you confirm it then i now go into tests because i'll prompt you that okay from this phase you are going into tests even in the test phase we can still make changes so i start showing you what is looking like color wise direction of light i'm showing you exactly what you want to see we are picking camera angles at that test because the tests are usually low quality renders because you don't want to do a 4K or 8K render and um, uh. changes <laughs> something inside. You would, you would you would just waste your time. So mm -hmm. low quality images, 1K, 2K, we show that to the clients. The client says, okay, I like this. Then you, you now start seeing a lot of changes like, oh, okay. So with the way the light is interacting with this color, it's changing it to make it a little bit white. So no, you let's do it 
more off-white. So now I start tweaking. Okay. So that is where we now start tweaking colors. We now start tweaking lights. We now start tweaking to get the mood, the exact mood we want. Tweaking mm -hmm. camera angles to position it the way that would sell the project best. Because sometimes people book you for a single image for every single room that they have. So if they have five rooms, they just want one single image. What's and trust me, that would be horrible. You would now have to pan around, move around, and see which position is the best position to capture yeah. as much as you can, or even the most interesting features of that room. Mm. So it's in the test phase that we do all of those changes. Then after the first, second change, I give a little room for a third change, and I say, okay, this is where the line is drawn. This is the final test render. So can I proceed? After you say, please go ahead. <laughs> I will initiate the final render and the final render takes some time. So once the final render is done and you come back and you tell me, I'll tell you no, pair agreements. <laughs> After this has been done, you would it will cost you now. So that's, that's how I go about it. Thank you so much for breaking it down. Yeah. So how do you go about um, additional charges after initial charges have been met? Like after the initial cost has been agreed upon and settled, when mm -hmm. they have more observations or changes to be made, like you just mentioned lastly, like yeah. how do you go about what percentage of the job, how do you determine how much you'll be charging Okay, so for that, I usually take the cost of producing the image again. So if it costs me $100 to produce that image, I charge you $100. I will charge you $100 and then do a discount. Okay. So most times, I've never had a client make a change after a final render has been done because I try as much as possible to prevent. I think it has only happened once and it was with a trusted client. So I just, I waived it. I, I let her understand that, okay, so you've made this change. It's supposed to cost you, but because yeah. you are a long-time client, I'm going to waive it this once. And she was grateful because she knows that that is what the agreement says. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I've never really had like a one-off client make that kind of change. My goodness, I would charge you the same amount because it's going to take me the same time. Because after the final render is done, it's not just the raw render outputs I would send to you. Yeah, I have to take it to post-processing. Yes, exactly. And so all that time, oh, no, no, no. So, so like basically from what you said right now, you're advising maybe people to sort of, you know, have a contract in place because that's what will guide you and, you know, keep the yes. client in check. Because sometimes, yes. some people are so, like, so quick to start the work. Oh, I, this client is my long-time client. I want, to be this, I want to be, like, I've been wanting to be this guy's client for a while. Let's just jump on the project and start. Forgetting that... <laughs> Maybe later in later in like while working, like the client might change his mind, or then then you you're not in the loop of okay revisions and revisions and revisions. So so like I'm like I guess from you right. So it's good. It's always good to state the scope and state the number yes. of revisions you get. Yes. Okay. Right from the onset. Right from the hello hi. I want to do this with you. Okay, no problem. You take the details. You state the scope. This is what the final output. These are the deliverables. It's not going to change unless you change it. And when you change it, it would attract a cost. Okay. Everybody's happy on that way. Uh -huh. Because if, but I understand what Gideon is also saying, because most times people are hungry to take in people's money. And it's like, you're not even coming to save the person. You, you are hungry yeah. to take in and start, let's start the work and get the money. 
No, because if you do that and you are chasing money, trust me, the money will come, you'll be tired, you'll be frustrated because now you are working with clients who know that this guy, he's only he's interested not- in my money. He's mm-hmm. not interested in giving me the best. So yeah. at the end of the day, you might even lose that client that you are trying to hold on to. Wow. Thank you so much. So much insight. Okay. Um, have you had projects you had to handle for family or close friends, relatives? <laughs> <laughs> I have had a couple, but that was when I was initially starting. I think that was on level 300. And okay. For family and friends, there's, there, there is a family and friends discount. But okay. there is still that like there's still that agreement that once you cross this line, it will cost you more. Because I can't run the business on family and friends. And when what, what profit does that bring me? So no matter the familiarity, the yeah. agreement is the first thing to address. Yes. I mean, like I, I I saw this quote online, right? That they were like, a client will be your friend faster than if your friend will be your client. Because when it is when you are working for friends and family, they want oh it's my guy discount too. Exactly, they're basically insulting your, your professionalism. Like come on, don't do that. Exactly, my because food. they will go outsiders and they will pay premium to do yes, the exact now, thing. Exact same thing, exactly. Exactly, and the funny thing about these guys is that your friend, maybe you maybe you gave him seventy percent off. We can't tell his own friend to oh I got it for this cheap price. Well, then that guy will come and tell uh-huh. you that hey, I'll be I be gave my friend so, so, uh-huh. that train will thing. just continue and you exactly. keep having more <laughs> loop of of annoying clients and you know very... please at that moment you don't even call them clients you just call them <laughs> I don't even know what to call them <laughs> but you can't call those set of people clients. <laughs> But I, I think you're back to the very, very interesting. So remember, guys, so what it was saying, something about pushbacks, right? The first person you probably reach out to may not say yes. That does not mean that what you are doing is not validated or is not valid or what you are doing is not wanted, right? It's always good to push further, try something else. You know, if, if one person says no, it doesn't mean that another door will not open to you. So I, I, yeah. I, I like I liked where you said you your first client was like, your first potential client did not agree, but you, you felt hurt. I mean, it's normal, but you, you still pushed on. So, right. So, guys, oh, it's yeah. always good to, to, to sort of push on and try something else. Either does not work, keep pushing. Because <laughs> I know I've, I've, I've been in <laughs> that kind of situation too before where I've gotten like so many no's, no, no, no. But that one yes, yeah. you actually cater for every no you've received and even you don't know where to take it to. Exactly, exactly. Because like, it's not just one no. Hey, the number of people have told me no, oh, no, no, don't worry. Oh, no. But you architects, why are you studying? You're studying architecture, you're going to be an architect. Why Why do you want to veer off into 3D? What's, what's the whole idea? I'm like, I, I don't love to do that part of it. I love this side of the work. I'd rather want to support you, push your design, push your project, present it so well to the end clients and I'll be happy from where I am and you'll also be happy because you would have had the best presentation of your life where the client tells you, I love your, I love your design. I love how everything is going to be. When are we starting the project? I want to yeah. make the deposits now. Mm-hmm. Do you ever take on um, third party consultations? Where third party consultation means? Like an interior designer has a job, consults you for, because I understand that not all interior designers and decorators know how to go around 3D and all that. So oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Client, the client communicates to the designer, this is what I want to see. 
and yeah. then they relay the message to you. To so me. most of the time, from the conversations with um, the interior designer, already has a conversation with the client. The interior yeah. designer up with the mood board and then presents to you. So now yes. the fit, the, the interior designer is like the intermediary between you and the client. So yeah, it is yeah, what yeah. the tells you, you replicate mm -hmm. into your design. Exactly. Now what happens when there is a miscommunication or maybe there is a mishap somewhere somehow because ah so most of my clients are interior designers and some of them are architects and then some of them are real estate developers okay so for the ones that i have direct communication with the clients mm -hmm. i try as much as possible to um cut down those miscommunications but the ones that i don't have direct communication I communicate to the interior designer so well enough that if I'm facing an issue somewhere and I realize it's a client who has to make a decision, mm -hmm. I let the interior designer know that this is the decision of the client. So please okay. let the person know that this is what is going to happen. If they should yeah. give you a go ahead and I go ahead, I will not turn back for you to come and tell me, oh, I, I didn't communicate to the clients. No, 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 no. Mm -hmm. It would be at the cost of the interior designer. Or it would be at the cost of the middle one because I try. I know how painful it would be for you to make changes, and then for the interior designer to make changes, only to find out that, that those changes were not approved by the client or the client. Exactly, and then all the stress will now have to come back to you doing the 3D visuals because the client, the end client, says um, I didn't approve of those changes. So, um, have you ever had any of your designs? tweaked or changed at the point of execution it's approved the client has approved but the contractors and the designers probably when they are installing or doing something they had to change something as in has it ever happened oh yes it has it happened on the recent projects but that was approved by the client to move on on that change so we're finished doing the 3d visuals we've done everything the interior design parts and mm -hmm. then we go to site and we realize there's a pump under the ground. So oh. we can't exactly do what we want to do. Was there a pump or a water line? I think there was a water, is there a water line or so? But that so, was not communicated in the course of the interaction and the uh -huh. design. So that was not communicated. So it changed the whole design of the interior because a place that we're supposed to do make a kitchenette, we couldn't do that side of the kitchenette anymore. So we, the thing just changed. But I understood that it's what happens when you go to sites and probably you didn't, um, what is it called? You didn't do some inspection on the site to see what is happening on the site. So, yeah. So right. two things I'm taking home. Mm -hmm. Always make sure you start with an agreement, no matter the familiarity or the channel your client is coming from. Always yeah. make sure agreement takes precedence before you communicate on what the design should even look like and everything and everything. That's yeah. one. And then secondly is the fact that inspection is also important. So you don't change, you don't get to have errors. And also, there's no family in business. Is it that you want the job oh, no, done? No, no, there's no family in business. Let's be happy with ourselves. Let's let's just keep family <laughs> here. 
don't, you don't. <laughs> food business. Yeah, let's 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 run it like they are two different entities. Yes, you can do family and friends discount, but please don't do free work because it's family. No, no, you would hurt yourself. You know, Stanley. So why? I think, think Buki asked the question at the beginning of this podcast, right? So, like, how are you able to grow your your client base? So, would you say it's from sending like cold DMs or proposals to several um, firms and you know individuals? Right. So for that, I won't say it's by sending cold DMs. I have had to do a couple of free works. I won't lie. Like I've done a couple of free works. Uh-huh. Ask. You are <laughs> yes, <laughs> I have done a couple of free works, and you should be ready to stick it in for like I, I stuck it in for a year. So I would say all the works I did in level 200 to 300 they were all like few weeks to me they were all like few weeks i was just doing that to build a portfolio and get some amount of experience so that at least i'd have my foot on something solid a bit a bit solid not too solid but something to start from so yeah all those times were like partially free work because please the, that those payments were not payments those, those payments no so yeah and from there, then I started doing, I run paid ads, but most of my clients now are from referral. So I do a good work for this person. This person shares my work on their page or on their story or whatever platform they have. And then the next person sees it and, oh, like I saw your page on this person's, I saw your work from this person's page and I want this kind of service. Would you be available? Oh, I saw this on this would you be available? And some people also are, I would call them stalkers. So you run a paid ad, you see a couple of people follow you, right? But then they don't always like your content, but they always watch your story. That's so they are seeing what's going on. And you are also wondering, ah, who is this person? Okay, but the person followed me and I followed back. Okay, that's fine. And then they are watching your content on a regular basis, only for you to, for them to come back one year later and be like, I've been following your page for a year now and I realized this is the type of work you do. I want your services. Then you realize, oh, so the person followed me because of this. And then they, that's when they tell you, okay, so I saw your work from this person's page and that's why I've been following since then. So mostly referrals and paid ads. Yeah. And the paid ads is not like, is not a lot of money. It's not, it's not something anybody can't afford. Hi guys. So we had to cut the episode short because it's getting too long. So what will happen now is the next episode will be a mini episode where Stanley and I did a role play. Stay tuned.